blood, sweat, tears, emotions. A very special episode of the Educated Ignorance Podcast is next. The Educated Ignorance Podcast is brought to you by the For Frequency Sake Podcast Network with brand new episodes of the Data Lab as well as from College of the Combine, including our new wrestling podcast, Card Subject to Change. And of course, starting in a couple weeks, week one on Sunday for fantasy sake. So a lot of big things coming every Sunday with the episodes of For Fantasy Sake and all your fantasy news for each NFL Sunday right up to kickoff. Uh, right here on the For Frequency Sake Podcast Network. Of course, go to FFSQC on Facebook or Go to fourfrequencysakeqc.com to learn more about all of our new episodes and content. And of course, here on the Educated Ignorance Podcast, we're about to start hitting our big time content uh, you know, part of the year with football on the horizon. This upcoming week, what to look forward to, we'll end up dropping a Western Big Six football podcast uh, probably Thursday or Friday morning. Uh, just depends. Uh, probably look out for that Friday morning. Maybe maybe Thursday. Might record it thir- uh, Tuesday or late Wednesday, drop it for Thursday morning. So you got a full day to digest it before we kick games off on Friday. But other than that, we'll have... Three podcasts a week once we get into NFL season for week one of the college season next. So not this upcoming week, but the week after uh, the week ending uh, in September. What would that be? Second. uh, We'll we'll probably just have two pods. We might do like a Western Big Six thing during the week. And then on that uh, Thursday, we'll do some Sinister Six stuff. With six college football bets, uh, maybe a couple quick little outline things to look for when you're talking about, you know, there's are, there are a couple big games on that opening Saturday when you think of the, uh, what, you got Ohio State and Notre Dame to wrap up that Saturday, and then of course you have the midday game, Georgia and Oregon, so we'll touch on a couple things there, but other than that, uh, that's all college football stuff, but then... Leading up to week one of the NFL, we'll drop a, uh, for sure, we'll drop a preseason NFL Elite Eight, so we'll have that on Tuesday morning. We will all, uh, that that episode, we'll have a couple topics. We will do a Thursday night uh, recap, so kind of breaking down how everything will work will be, we're going to record after, thir- I think the, this is going to be the initial play, we're going to record after Thursday night football. So we'll do the Thursday night game recap every week with, in that same podcast, a couple touching previews on games for the weekend, and then the Sinister Six. So we'll do the, of course, so that Friday, that Friday morning release will have the, uh, it'll have the, the, the opening night recap. Plus sinister stick stuff for NFL and college. That'll be kind of the weekly thing every Friday morning. And then Sunday night we will record as well. We will drop that Monday morning. A quick little 30 to 45 minute pod recapping the Sunday night game. As well as recapping just a couple big things from out the day. And then we, when we record Monday night, which will then be released Tuesday morning, we will then have the 
Uh, Elite Eight, obviously, that'll be the big theme for the... That'll be the theme, big centric theme uh, with, obviously, any big wrap-ups from college and NFL throughout the week. So, Monday releases is instant Sunday reaction, of course, obviously, with the big recap of the Sunday night game. Mo uh, Tuesday release will have the recap of the Monday night game, plus... Um, overall arching stories from the entire weekend of football, as well as the NFL Elite Eight. And then the Friday morning release will be Thursday Night Football Recap, plus the Sinister Six picks, uh, and maybe a couple game previews here and there. Other than that, that'll be kind of the big landscape uh, for the podcast schedule once we get into college, once we get right into the thick of football season. Uh, and we're right on the doorstep of it. Can't wait. <laughs> I mean, the last couple weekends here have been chill. Haven't had much planned. Um, been uh, just catching up on a lot of rest and hanging out. And once we get starting this week with high school ball, this weekend will be a little bit more chill. But once we get into Labor Day weekend and from there on, I mean, we basically aren't taking any time off with content and stuff happening until, I mean, next June. From here till NBA season's done. This has been the, it was the first time really from once we came back from the pandemic. I mean... From like October, it, from pretty much August of 2020 to, you know, June of this year, we pretty much didn't stop. We had the NBA bubble, obviously, then we had the NFL season, then NBA again started right back up around November that year, or uh, early, to, or mid-December, I should say, and then we had, of course, all the sports going through, and then the NBA playoffs that year ran through July, the NBA Finals started like second week of July, so pretty much right by the time the NBA ended last season, NFL was getting ready to roll, uh, and we rolled right into that through uh, this year, and once we got to the end of June, it was like, man, you know, or the beginning of June, it was weird, it was like, man, we, you know, don't have anything to cover once the, once the NBA Finals ended, it was very weird, uh, it, was, it was odd, it was fun though. It was, it was, I always sometimes hate this time of year because it's like, man, there's nothing to do. But then eventually you start getting into more stuff and just relax. And it's like, all right, we can reset things and we are now ready to roll with football season. This episode, though, is not football, basketball, baseball, hockey, anything like that related. This is UFC related. I'm really excited to do this. I've got kind of a blueprint on what I'm going to do. But this is going to be a big um, kind of just reaction. Uh, to what happened last night in the uh, Leon Edwards, Kamaro Usman main event at UFC 278. A lot to get to here. This was such an out-of-body experience to, to surreal thing to just live. And I'm going to try to do my best to explain all the emotions I felt and just the meaning behind it uh, as well. We're gonna tr I'm going to try to encapsulate that all, all of that here. Uh, this is gonna. I'm excited to try to to put this into words, and we'll see what we can do. But I uh, hope you enjoy this. Let's get it rolling here uh, with this with this extremely fun episode. Let's get it together, folks. There's a lot of special things about the UFC, and some of those special things are more than just 
a fight being brutal or having a big moment. It's not just about that. It's about the the layers not behind the moment. When you have a big successful thing happen for somebody, whether it's a crazy comeback win or a dominant title defense or you know, some sort of last-minute change and they end up winning, there's usually layers behind that. A lot of things that I am reminded of when it comes to those fights, uh, when you think of certain moments uh, with certain fighters, think of Michael Bisping, last-minute replacement to win a world championship uh, against Luke Rockhold. He was the only other time he fought Luke Rockhold. He got dominated. He had never even challenged for a UFC title. And in his first-ever opportunity... <laughs> He connects with the left hand out of nowhere and ends up knocking him out. Other guys, you think of kind of the rags-to-riches stories. You look at a guy like Francis Ngannou, who was in the slums in Cameroon and worked his way through and got an opportunity and finally was able to get on the right track and just be this thoroughbred athletic beast to put it all together and ended up becoming a UFC champion. You look at another guy like a Justin Gaethje who abandoned the lifestyle that his family had laid down, which was working the coal mines in Arizona, and he left that life to pursue a life in fighting and has had a very successful career. There's plenty and probably better stories that you can get to with with different fighters. Uh, I'm, you know, you think of certain Brazilians that have gone through crazy times, but one guy that I want to specifically talk about, of course, relevant due to recent activity, is Leon Edwards. A guy that has a story with multiple layers and someone who has gone through almost more than anybody to get the opportunity that he has had put in front of him. Leon Edwards was born into a situation where if there was no success in anything that he did in his life, you really would find it hard to blame him for it. His mother was 15 years old when she had Leon, also had a brother at the time. And once a couple years after he was born, his mother and father split up. When he was young, they grew up in Jamaica and grew up in you know towns with gangs and a lot of wars going on in a very very tough neighborhood to live in for for a young parent and multiple young children eventually though leon's father came and got him and they moved to the uk at the age of nine he lived in birmingham his mother as well came with and leon edwards grew up trying to live a life that would outgrow what he had at such a young age. And it's funny to think of the trials and tribulations that he had as a youth, and you try to compare it to the trials and tribulations that he's had as, a, as an athlete. Once Leon finally was around 16, he found mixed martial arts and started training. With his brother, they found a gym and they started working and training in the U.K., at this time, and even still uh, to this day, of course, with only now two United England-born champions, it was hard for Leon and them to be dedicated when you think of the lack of 
British and United Kingdom talent over the years in the mixed martial in mixed martial arts. But once Leon got into got into the UFC with his talents that he had and his technique that was very very interesting for a prospect of his age, he would come through and have some really really high moments, but of course, one of the more famous fights of his early career was a bout on a fight night card against Kamaru Usman, both up and coming prospects at the time in a fight where Kamaru Usman, obviously in the early part of his rise, dominated Leon, who wasn't really technically sound when it came to the other aspects of his game. Kamaru was a full mixed martial artist. Now, granted, he lacked in certain spots that he would become detrimental uh, to, uh, to other opponents at the time, and we'll get to that later with Kamaru. But Leon was just more of a technical striker, and he didn't round out his entire game. Eventually... Leon Edwards would start to rattle off wins and after the Kamaru Usman loss. And they would become more and more impressive over time, rounding out his game, rounding out his technique as a mixed martial artist, keeping that strong technical striking game that he had, but also adding things, being able to defend wrestling, have, little, have some offensive wrestling, and of course starting to improve his grappling. It all came to a head for him at a big fight night in London with the crowd at his side against Donald Cerrone, a five-round main event where Leon ended up winning by unanimous decision. After that win, he would get another big opportunity in a co-main event spot against Gunnar Nelson at the 170-pound division. On that same night, Darren Till, another local native and local hero to most, would go up against Jorge Masvidal in the main event. Somehow there was a dust-up between Darren Till and Leon Edwards to where, even in his home nation, Leon Edwards would get booed by the majority of his fans going to the ring to face Gunner. It was a weird situation. And once he got in there and won, it was kind of 50-50 split. Not many people were happy. There were some that were, of course. But obviously, they were much more interested in the main event with Darren Till. Darren Till lost to Jorge Masvidal. But that night afterwards, in the post-fight press conference room, I guess not really the press conference room, but back getting interviews, Jorge Masvidal veered off from getting an interview and went and had a, let's say, a kerfuffle with Leon Edwards. All of a sudden, they both started punching. Jorge Masvidal went from having his hands behind his back to just throwing the good old, what he liked to call, the three-piece and a soda combination. The aftermath of that, oddly enough, didn't build in anything special. What it did was vault Jorge Masvidal into this near, you know, pinnacle on deck of superstardom, while Leon Edwards, instead of capitalizing on that moment and the UFC making a fight between the two, got put in this weird, weird cycle of being the bridesmaid when it came to big situations. Instead of making the big Masvidal-Edwards match after the backstage fight, what happened is Masvidal got pushed up into a big match on a big summer card, International Fight Week to be exact, against Ben Askren, where, well, the rest was history. Masvidal had the fastest knockout in UFC history, and all of a sudden would be propelled into big moments like the BMF fight and then an eventual back-to-back -back fights to at the for a world championship before obviously being where he is now after losing his third straight fight 
last earlier uh, this year to Colby Covington. Oddly enough for Leon Edwards, it was almost cruel how different it went. Leon would get a, finally a, another top contender fight against Rafael Dos Anjos, the former 155-pound champion and 170-pound interim champion before losing to Colby Covington. Leon would beat RDA in pretty convincing fashion before setting up what was supposed to be his big moment, headlining a card in London after making up and rekindling the fire with his, Nate, with his hometown fans on February 29th, 2020 against Tyron Woodley. Right before that card finally broke through, the pandemic had hit and that card was canceled. His big fight with Tyron Woodley, a big moment for him to have a star-breaking, star-making, star, you know, you know, breakthrough performance was shattered at his feet. And once again, something that was no fault of his own ended up ruining him. Crazy things happened afterwards, being stuck in Europe, unable to accept any fights. There was even one point late in 2020 where he was removed from the welterweight rankings, ranked as high as number three at one point. All of a sudden, then Edwards was no longer in the rankings. Eventually, he finally bit the bullet and tried to take a fight that was extremely out of his, uh, something that he had no business taking against a man named Kazmat Chemaev, who is now one of the top welterweight contenders in the world. Chemaev was an up-and-coming prospect who had just bulldozed his way through three or four lower-level fights in the UFC and just absolutely outclassed guys. What, what happened was Edwards said, I'll be the one to fight him because nobody else would. And the reason I say that it was something that Edwards shouldn't do, not because he isn't talented, the point of this excerpt here is he's extremely talented. But in that situation against an unproven prospect and you're a top three, top five guy in the world at your division, there's no reason for you to take that fight. But nobody else would fight Leon Edwards because he apparently wasn't big enough. Jorge Masvidal, the guy who went out of his way to punk in London just a year prior, not even a year prior, wouldn't fight him for words we don't know. His superstardom was too big. Leon Edwards became the ugly girl at the school dance who nobody wanted to have the slow dance with and nobody wanted to have that special moment with. It was really weird, really awkward. The UFC almost at times... Not, I don't know if they almost cut him, but Edwards was in a weird spot where it didn't even seem like the UFC wanted to go out of their way to do business with him, almost hoping they could put him in a lose-lose situation where Edwards couldn't gain anything by beating somebody. But, hey, if, you, if Edwards gets beat, it would be this big moment and prop up somebody else. Unfortunately, the Kamzat Jemayev uh, dropped not once, not twice, but three times in a, of course, Highly, highly documented event where Hamza Chemaev battled a really bad uh, case of coronavirus, retiring at one point before unretiring, thankfully. And now Hamza is back and, of course, wrecking people. But for Leon Edwards, it was just another opportunity gone awry for him. A big opportunity, a big fight that he had three multiple training camps for, and he was still left without a dance partner. Finally, we get to mid twenty. We get to the early stages of 2021, and he gets a dance partner, Bilal Muhammad, another up-and-coming welterweight, ranked around 10 at the time, and Edwards just thankfully getting another opponent. But again, kind of a lose-lose situation. If you beat a guy like this, what does it do for you? You're a guy that's on a nine-fight, eight-fight, nine-fight winning streak. 
what's this going to do for you? And it was worse than he could have ever imagined. Early in round one, there was an exchange where Bilal Muhammad got poked in the eye by Edwards, who stuck his hand out. And the fight was stopped due to a doctor stoppage and labeled as a no contest. So Leon Edwards, who hadn't fought in almost two years his f- and had multiple fights get dropped, finally gets in there and the fight lasts about a minute. Finally, what happened was one of the weirdest cases of a contender getting a win ever. He gets stuck in, the, in a match with Nate Diaz in a co-main event spot on a very big card for the UFC in the middle of 2021. It's a five-round co-main event non-title. It's an extremely dominant performance from Leon Edwards. But again, it's one of those cases when you look at Nate Diaz, who has lost, I believe, now, what, four of his last five fights, almost five of his last six. What does this really do for Leon Edwards? After 24 minutes and... Uh, well, after just over 24 minutes of dominating Nate Diaz, everything is going perfect until with about 50 seconds left, Nate Diaz hits a awkward combination that leaves Leon Edwards stunned, and Nate Diaz pointing at him and laughing at him and almost finishes him becomes the narrative of the fight. Instead of a dominant win from Leon Edwards, all anyone remembers is how Nate Diaz almost finished him in the final minute. Leon Edwards would then be passed up on another opportunity to take on the world champion as he would watch and wait his time to finally feel that he deserved a shot at the 170-pound belt. Eventually, earlier this year, finally, the August 20th date was set where he would go one-on-one with Kamaru Usman for the UFC's welterweight championship. Let's talk a little bit about the man that was standing on the other side of the cage. Kamaru Usman came into the August 20th fight easily the pound-for-pound king in the world. Usman had won 16 straight fights to open his UFC career, and this was he was looking for his seventh straight title defense. A guy who early on his career was labeled as an uninteresting fighter with a boring style, obviously maligned for his infamous... I only gave about 20% of myself out there in a fight where he dominated Damian Maya. eventually would finally break through, getting his world championship match against Tyron Woodley in 2019, and he did not miss. Dominated Tyron Woodley for five rounds, one of the most dominant welterweight victories of all time. Then, in that same year, he had his rivalry dust-up with Colby Covington. And in November of that year, had one of the most, or December of that year, excuse me, had one of the most amazing fights in UFC history when him and Colby went to war and Kamaru vindication went his way by finishing him in the fifth round to retain his championship. Had some other big-time title victories. He beat Jorge Masvidal twice, one of those being the only guy ever to stop Jorge Masvidal via knockout. He also beat Gilbert Burns with some a very impressive stoppage where he was ra- reeling in the beginning but ended up stopping him in the third round and then went to war once again with Colby Covington in a very impressive five-round victory that he clearly was ahead the entire time. Nobody could figure him out. Nobody could find a way to get inside and make Kamaru Usman work and give him any issues. The gap was starting to propel, not only as he closed in on what would be the welterweight greatest of all time, but maybe, if you really looked at it, Kamaru's case as the greatest mixed martial artist ever. 
he was clearly starting to gain time and almost start to lap the field, kind of like how John Jones did in the mid-2010s with his dominance over the sport in his division. What was so impressive about what Kamaru Usman was doing was he was showing that you don't just have to plateau to stay ahead of the field. What he was doing is you can continue to improve on your craft. A guy who was such a dominant wrestler and clearly could just get by on that continued to improve his striking, his powerful jab, his relentless pressure, his dominant clinch game, and all the little minute things that he could do in the stand-up and, of course, on the ground to absolutely control other fighters. It was impressive every single time Kamara would get to the cage. And for this fight on August 20th in the main event in Salt Lake City at UFC 278, it would honestly be no different as him and Leon would go face-to-face -face for the welterweight championship of the world. Leon, of course, being a man deserving of this moment for quite some time, and Kamaru on the other end, the pound-for-pound -pound king, looking to continue to close the gap of that imaginary brass ring of the all-time great. Chasing the ghost of George St. Pierre, as some would say, and Kamaru Usman would have himself an interesting night and it started in the first round when Leon Edwards became the first man ever to take him down. It was an it was a back-and-forth first round when Leon got an interesting position after they got off the fence, and he tripped Kamaru down and gained full mount. Ended up, after that, getting on his back and having a potential rear-naked choke-in, which, oddly enough, is the only time Kamaru has ever lost in MMA years ago before joining the UFC and starting this ungodly winning streak, Leon Edwards took a round from the champion. And I tweeted out during that moment, when was the last time someone not named Colby Covington took a round off of Kamaru Usman? And it made me think, the Gilbert Burns fight? Maybe round one of the first Jorge Masvidal fight? Maybe. Doubtful. It's rare. It's been so long since Kamaru has, been ha has had a round taken off him by someone that wasn't Colby Covington. In both of those fights, they were so razor thin. The second one more dominant for Kamaru than the first, clearly. But other than Colby, no one has ever seemed to make Kamaru work. And oddly enough, Kamaru started fighting this weird style. It wasn't his best night, but he was still doing things that were showing he was clearly the best in the world. And the gap from him to second was further than the gap from second to everyone else in the field. He was dominant, but still, again, it wasn't his best night. But the things that he was showing, it made me realize, you look at him and you compare him to a guy like George St. Pierre, I, would, I at that night, this night, was thinking to myself that Kamaru was not just the pound-for-pound -pound king, not just the welterweight king, but I really was starting to feel that Kamaru was closing in on one of the greatest of all time. I was thinking to myself comparing him versus George St. Pierre and the way he just controlled things and how overwhelming he was to opponents. Leon was broken down. Leon was in a place where at times it felt like he was almost conservative and content with just getting to the bell and ended up losing, end up losing a decision. And sometimes that just happens when you go against a guy that is just that much better than you. But obviously, of course... Leon didn't quit. We go to the fifth round after Kamaru wins rounds two, three, and four, and Kamaru, it seems like, is on his way to a championship. Win and, you know, matching Anderson Silva's 17-fight win streak to start a UFC career. It's not the craziest moments that 
surprise us when it, in this sport of mixed martial arts. Usually the craziest things are something that might stun us and make us laugh and feel a certain way, but sometimes it's stuff that we've probably seen before. It's just a crazy maneuver. You wouldn't think of how, when you line up circumstances, how everything just seems to fit. And on this night, somehow, some way, it was one of the more improbable things that we've ever seen. With about a minute gone by in the, in the round, Dean Thomas, who was a former athlete, former MMA coach, and now does these little bits of 60-second journalism on the side when he hear, to kind of break down what coaches say in the corners and Anik, Rogan, and Cormier go to him for his analysis. Honestly, this was the best bit of analysis I've ever heard him give, and usually he does drop some good insights. But he was mentioning how, oddly enough, in Leon's corner, he didn't look into his coach's eyes, and he felt like that was Leon feeling sorry for himself, giving up, being disappointed because he couldn't look at his coach to tell him, I just don't have it anymore. And again, as we said earlier, you have those moments against those high-level guys. Think of all the guys John Jones has made feel that. Some of the best fighters in the world. First time he fought Daniel Cormier. That's two of the best guys, probably the two best guys ever. Fight me about it. Those two guys are insane. And John Jones broke him. The second time was a war, but that first time they fought, John broke him to where in the fifth round, all Daniel wanted was to just land one takedown. But John had him so mentally beat that that's all it could matter for him. Daniel didn't care about winning the fight. All he cared about was just landing that one takedown for a moral victory. In this fight for Leon, the guy who had been through so much, had been through so much as a child, losing loved ones early, having to to live in terrible situations in Jamaica and as a child as he moved to Birmingham. Everything that he went through for this moment, it felt so cruel that he was going to come up so short. So he got through about two minutes into the fifth round. You could just sit there looking at Leon like, all we're doing is begging him, please let your hands go. Give yourself an opportunity to win. All those moments that he had had as a UFC fighter from the early success then the momentum being stopped with the Kamaru loss, but then building himself back up. All of those moments, the big Cowboy Cerrone win, even the dust-up with Masvidal that didn't go anywhere, those moments were bright, but then obviously you, that, that, all of those bright moments remind you of round one, but then you have rounds two, three, and four and the early stages of this round. It reminds you of all the bad things that happened to him in his UFC career. You think of the non-recognition after beating a former world champion. You think of his big moment in his home nation getting taken away from him due to a once-in-a-generation global pandemic. You think of all the fights that fought through, that fell through. You think of him finally getting back on the horse just for it to end in 60 seconds. And you think of a dominant win that at the end no one cared about because of a random punch that had him wobbly at the end. It's ironic how things work in this sport. It's like all of those things led us to this moment. Two minutes left, and Leon is still trying to find some way. Kamaru, being a little less enforcing in this round, to say the least, just kind of biding his time, waiting for the final bell as he would get another victory, get his seventh title defense, and match Anderson Silva's record for the most consecutive wins in UFC history. We get down to the final 90 seconds, and still not much going for Leon. Minute 15 to go. At that point, the commentary, oddly enough, starts talking about how maybe Leon Edwards 
just has pretty much shut it down mentally, where he's saying to himself, oddly enough, you know, a moral victory would be just getting to the bell against Kamaru and saying we lost by unanimous decision. You think of the guys that he stopped. He stopped Gilbert Burns. He stopped Colby once. He stopped Torrey Masvidal. It's been on a wrecking machine. And even though we did lose in dominating fashion, at the end of the day, what you could say is, you know, we were closer than most. Then all of a sudden, in almost perfect timing, the commentary said, John Anik it was. You know, he's not cut from that cloth. 65 seconds left. It's not really the kind of guy that he is. 61 seconds left. 60 seconds left. Leon Edwards throws a little left jab that Kamaru Usman perfectly parries and dips his head to the right. And in that split second, 59 seconds left. Leon Edwards connects with a left head kick, shin to chin, that sounds like a sounded like a Barry Bonds baseball bat hitting a home run in 2003. Kamaru Usman goes from champ to Dunzo in the matter of seconds as he hits his hits the mat, eyes staring, gaze to the ceiling, and pandemonium strikes. What just happened? The fight is over. Leon Edwards hands in the air. Anybody that I'm with watching this fight, we don't know what happened. I'm getting the chills right now thinking about it. It was one of the most improbable things that have ever had that's ever happened in the sport of mixed martial arts. With one minute left, Leon Edwards, with the Hail Mary of all Hail Marys, the head kick from hell, lands after that beautiful technique that he's always had as a striker. Fakes with the jab, goes high with the kick, and catches Kamaru Usman perfectly. The lights go out, and Rocky, fitting that his nickname is Rocky, is the UFC world champion. I couldn't believe it. I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it right now. It was the craziest thing I'd, again, ever experienced as a mixed martial arts fan. I didn't think it was real. I'm texting the group chat, capital letters, I'm yelling. I was wondering if this is what it was like to do cocaine or acid. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. I felt like I was kind of a genie coming out of a bottle, looking down at my body, just flailing its arms around like one of those inflatable crazy, you know, things that you see at a used cars dealer, used car dealership with the air going through them and they're all flipping around like the boneless, like, you know, weekend at the boneless people's house, flopping around like a fish that you just caught caught in the Atlantic Ocean. It was incredible. It was, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. and I was speechless. I had no words. All I could say was, holy shit. And the interview that Leon gave after, I don't think there was ever a moment ever in any sport that was more real than that. Leon Edwards said, look at me now. He was a world champion. He was from the trenches. He came up from nothing. Not even a wooden shack. Barely had a roof over his head in Jamaica. Came from nothing. From the streets and the gangs in Jamaica. Growing up as a young child. His mother, young as well. His mother was 15 when she had Leon. They grew up in some of the most 
unwelcoming circumstances. Again, as I said at the beginning, if, if he didn't make it, couldn't blame him. Not many people in that situation do. We talk about someone who's one of one. Look at me now is what he said. Damn right, John Anik. Print those shirts. I think the coolest moment of it all was in the back when you saw Leon talk to his mother over FaceTime. And he said, I told you I would do it. I told you I would change your life. Look at me now. I'm a world champion. He said that in the cage too. I told you I would do it. I'm tearing up right now thinking about it. Thinking about that moment. Honestly, one of the happiest moments you could ever have in a UFC fight. And it's what makes this sport so special. And Kamaru Usman, a gracious champion, shook hands afterwards and got to wonder how much he really knew in that moment because it was a very vicious knockout. He'll have his opportunity. They'll have his fight again. But we're not. this isn't a moment to talk about that. It's a moment to mention the new world champ, Leon Rocky Edwards, and how special it was. It was special to witness. I'm very lucky to have been able to live in that time just over 24 hours ago almost now as I'm recording this and to say that I was able to witness, in my my opinion, the greatest UFC championship victory of all time. We're looking at you now, Leon. You're a champion forever.